0: Greetings. This is your host, Dr. Jen Barna, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast, the podcast that's all about helping physicians and healthcare professionals like you to unlock your true potential. Our mission is to provide you with invaluable strategies and insights so you can craft a life that resonates with what matters most to you on your own terms. Your support fuels our passion to continue creating meaningful content designed to propel you toward your desired destination.
1: And I think it's a big piece of um, the burnout discussion we're not having. If your home life is not in the best of shape, It's just one more thing that would really affect your ability to show up, perform, and be there for your patients.
0: My guests today are Ashley Gay and Dr. David Gay, hosts of On Call with Dr. Dave, the podcast about healthcare professionals sharing their inspiring, humorous, shocking, and heartwarming stories and where Dave and Ashley share their experience as a married couple going through medical training and how it has affected their relationship. We all have relationships outside of work, whether it's with a partner, spouse, family, children, or friends. And I'm very interested in exploring the impact of those relationships on us personally and on how we practice medicine. But perhaps more importantly, I'm interested in exploring together how these relationships affect the person or people who are not the physician or medical student and what it's like to be the partner and or family member or child of a physician. I'm excited to have this conversation with Ashley and Dave today to get some insights into these relationships and some tips and advice. And if you're listening, and thinking about the relationships outside of work in your life, please reach out to me and let me know what you think of this episode and your own insights. Ashley and Dave Gay, welcome to Doc Working, The Whole Physician Podcast. Thank you so much for having us on. We're excited.
2: Thank you so much.
0: I'm thrilled to have you, and I'm so interested in your story. I think your podcast is tremendous. If you're listening and you haven't heard it yet, please check it out. And so if you would tell me a little bit about your own journey and what led you into podcasting and just your story so that our listeners can get to know you.
1: Well, I, Dave and I met and got married before he started medical training. I actually met him the week that I graduated college and he actually had one more year of undergrad. Is that Am I remembering that right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um I was there through the entire application process, the matching process, the medical school, the matching again, the and Dave's specialty included a fellowship match. So the whole the whole thing and how many years training. Ugh,
2: I mean, I added a couple of years, but I did. I did a few, I did some research years and there's some other things I didn't match the first time into the specialty that I wanted, which delayed everything, which is also a stressor. When you go through all of medical school and you yeah. plan what the next step of life is. And when the system says, no, that's not the next step in life. And then all of a sudden your life is in flux again, when you have set it down a pathway. Mm-hmm. So I always felt bad because this was something I chose when I was young. This was something I was always going to do, and then I got married, and then it's both of us. And now it's, hey, this is something I'm doing, but it's not something I have a lot of control over. You get into the medical school that you get into, you do have the most amount of control you have is medical school, yeah. but after that, but even that, it's like, hey, we're moving to a city, a state you've never been to, about 3,000 miles away from your home. Mm Um, You're not going to have any friends or support. And then you finish medical school. It's like, hey, we're moving again. And then we're moving again. And then we're moving again.
1: And by the way, you're broke.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So if, if you look at all the stressors on relationship, financial stressors are one of the biggest ones. Big changes, moves is another thing that really stresses relationships. Not having family close is another stressor on relationships. So our whole medical training was just a pressure cooker of I'm not there. I'm spending a lot of time working towards something else and then she's in a new city trying to learn how to make friends. Once we had kids, how do you find support? How do you find people, a community? Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we did early on that we did really well was find community, Mm -hmm. but we didn't do really well early on was find time for each other. It was just, Mm -hmm. I'm doing this, you're doing that. And we got to the point where we were getting toward the end of our training and we just kind of looked at each other like, wow, we're really good roommates. Like.
1: Yeah, we're, we're a good team, but the emotional, um, I guess emotional intimacy was just not there. Cause by the time we got through, it's like, oh, we're staring down gun with training. Right. And I call it good soldier syndrome where you were classic middle children. Like Both of us are middle children. <laughs> so, so you put your head down and it's incredible what you can convince yourself. You can handle if there's an end date. Like you will just, I only have to do this for so long. I only have to do this for so long. And then you get to where, oh, wow, well, look, I'm to the end of this. And you look up and go, I don't even know what I'm in for here. I, like, I don't even know where I got here. I've just been looking down and walking forward. And we were like in huge, we were going in different directions.
0: First of all, congratulations for staying together and getting through all of that. I too, <laughs> uh, my husband and I both, We met when we were undergrads. And so my husband and I also, you know, saw each other through law school and medical school. And and I relate to everything you're saying. And also, if you were together and one person, the person who's not in medical training is probably supporting the person who is. And then they're getting yanked around in their own career from place to place. And so there, you know, that adds a whole additional level. of of stress. And, and also Dave, you mentioned something really significant, which I would love to have you come back and talk about on another episode, which is the whole match process, because at the time when you go through that, if that doesn't go as you anticipate or in a way that you think everyone is watching, you know, if it goes differently than you think it will, in the long run, it all works out. And I think it would be a wonderful story to hear because clearly it has worked out well for yeah. you, but I'm sure that must have been very stressful at the time.
2: We, and we can definitely do another follow-up conversation on it. It's hard to be the sad person in a room of happy people. Yeah. So everybody else getting their their match assignments and where they're going and you to have this big blank sheet. So yeah, we, we can definitely spend some time on that um it's true to finish up the question about how we got into podcasting Mm -hmm. as i finished my training we realized it was either we really needed to work on ourselves as people and our marriage or we were going to just have to go separate ways because so much effort went into kids and the career Mm -hmm. that not enough went into our relationship so we do things a hundred percent we are not people that Just like, well, we'll see what happens. We are like, if we're doing this, we're doing this. So, we went to therapy. We went to couples therapy. (laughs) We read books. We listened to podcasts. We delved in as much as we could into mental health for ourselves, for our relationship. And then it just became something we really enjoyed. And then we just started having more open conversations just with people, with friends, or me just talking to people at the hospital. And so, I just... Life became all about these stories that connect us, the stories that are... Like I said, just that's the human condition. It's the it's story. how we
1: learn best, yeah. really, is through story. And
2: it's how we relate to each other. Mm-hmm. It's how we pass down information. It's how we know if we connect with others. So we started the podcast. And initially, I thought it was going to be mostly just kind of humorous stories, a fun little side thing. And everybody surprised me with just coming on. and Even if they'd said something funny or told this most inappropriate story about a patient, Then they would always circle around and say, oh, can I share about this one patient that just... And then it's this heartwarming or a heart-wrenching story. And so, it's shifted a little bit. And now it was kind of a fun side project. And then I realized where the podcast was going. And I brought Ashley in to be on camera and on mic with me. And it's changing. We just wrapped up season one, which we did 30 episodes in season one. And toward the end, we said, you know, we need to start doing more specifically about training, about us, about our story. It's nice to have these stories that we share, but we also need to have this other voice on the podcast.
0: You said something there that I think is really significant that sets you apart from a lot of physicians, myself included, which is that you are really good at forming community. And for years, I really didn't talk with other physicians about any of the struggles that I went through. And that's one of the things that inspires me to have the podcast to try to get people talking, because I think so many of us are sort of in our silo, you know, just trying to get through the day, doing all of the work that we have in front of us and not addressing our, um, our own struggles at all. Maybe even just putting them on the back burner And if you've been really good at engaging your coworkers as well as people in your community outside of work, how have you done that? And do you have any tips for people listening in terms of simply how to to engage with their own colleagues?
2: So I think a lot of it is we want people to notice and we want people to reach out to us. And it just doesn't happen like that. I I think that you, if you want community, community is not going to come to you. You need to go search out community and you need to become involved. So in our local ophthalmology society, I got involved in the leadership. I had no desire to lead or to be in charge of anything, but to connect with people, to get to know people, to get to know the doctors in the community. If I just showed up to meetings, I knew I would just show up, sit in the back and just not engage. And so to actually be engaged and get to know these people, I had to have responsibility. And it seems daunting when you're just struggling and you don't want to, to take on extra responsibility, but unless you get involved, you're not going to connect with people. It's just, you're going to find reasons why it's, you're too tired. It's too late. There's always a reason not to show up. And so you almost have to create a reason to show up initially.
1: I'm a big fan of, um, service and faith communities because it affords the opportunity that Dave's talking about for the person that isn't in medicine. So, um, for me, my faith community has been a real, um, source of friendship, but also a sense of like, you know, these people are the people that are going to pick me up when my car breaks down. And these people are going to be there when I need a meal, when I'm overwhelmed to take my kid for the day to trade babysitting. Um, to be invested in that community, it requires some service. And when you sign up for service, whether it be in a nonprofit you believe in, whether it be your PTA, your neighborhood watch, anything like that, just know that if you want community, it is going to require some kind of service from you to receive that back. And it's not, it's kind of like the ticket to entry. Just like Dave's talking about just, just know it's going to be there. You're going to need to give a little bit to get
0: that community but it's so worth it to get the kind of support that you need my mind immediately goes to the memory of being a medical student and then a resident and as you said medical school is relatively benign compared to what the comes days. after <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you know having two toddlers and feeling like there was no time like i barely could function at all um you know between the work and then just wanting to be there for them every spare second when i was not working and do you have any tips for someone who may be in that situation who's <laughs> like i need the yeah. community but you know where do i fit it in or or uh, yeah. it's really a time management question but i'm curious well, what you what but, you have discovered yeah
2: that that's exactly what it is it's time management mm-hmm. but it's also like I said, with the same thing with showing up for things, if you have excuses why you can't, you'll never do it. So, it needs to be actually scheduled. You literally need to put it on your calendar. So, I've always I've always thought that physical exercise is one of the most important things to mental health and I've always made sure I had time to do it. Now, sometimes that is going to the gym early, going to the gym late, but throughout all of my training, I would join like intramural leagues or I would have... Things that were set up where this is Thursday night. This is when I play soccer, and when it's on the schedule and people expect you to be there, it happens. The I'm too tired. I don't want to go. That's all in my mind, all leading up to it, it's like, oh my gosh, like this is the worst day. I'm I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I just want to go to bed. or I have so much work to do. But when it's on my calendar and people expect me to be there, I would show up, and then every single time it was worthwhile to do it date nights are the same. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I mean, these are not independent of each other. Like your children, like we're talking about, um, we want to be there for their kids, but we also need to do service community. And we also need to work out. All those things can exist at one time. Your kids can come with you to volunteer and you can spend that time together, right? You can build a community and be with your children and your children can watch you serve at the same time. We would take our kids to the gym with us. Now they went to the, the play area But it was the drive there, the drive back, the chats, the stopping for a little treat, maybe for them, it was stopping at the park to play. Um, But they also saw it's important to us and our physical health is important to us. So they don't operate in silos of one another. It's like, try your best to combine what you can combine and then reevaluate your definition of what success is. Sometimes the workout is 30 minutes. Sometimes the service is a phone call, just make, but make it a priority that you're going to figure out how to, how to be creative and how you do those things and combine as much as possible.
0: Often you can combine these things and your kids are watching and learning from everything you're showing them and you're teaching them about time management as well. So that, that's tremendous. Just like they're watching you study and they're learning all those, you know, your work ethic from when you have them grab a pile of books and sit next to you Mm -hmm. while you're preparing for the conference for the next morning. All of those kind of um, strategies, that's a brilliant point. So thank you for that. Okay. And, and you mentioned kids. So tell me where along the way did you guys bring kids into the picture?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, is we tried to actually bring kids into the picture a little earlier. we We struggled th- with fertility for years. We had uh, attempted multiple times to have kids and have miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the adoption route and we we started that actually at the beginning of medical school. We just started the adoption proceedings and we were lined up with a birth mother and were planning to have a child. Mm-hmm. And then unexpectedly at that time, Ashley got pregnant and then, that's a whole other. Like I said, like we could circle back to all of these things. So the emotional toll of going through an adoption process with the financials, with people digging into your lives, with home studies, mm-hmm. with the stress, the anxiety. That's that's difficult in and of itself. But then she ended up getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful thing, but also a sad thing because the birth mother withdrew from us because she decided since she actually was pregnant. That she didn't want to have us have that baby. And I would have taken them both, yeah, honestly. Because we'd already accepted that baby in our hearts. And so, to lose that baby was almost like another miscarriage or another loss.
1: <laughs> our first son was <laughs> born second year. of
2: Yeah, medical right before the cardiology uh, exam in the second year of medical school. It was the night before. And then life got a little more interesting because then we had two things to manage and work became an issue for Ashley. And Mm -hmm. it took a while to find a job and to find daycare and to find opportunities where she could still work. And then I could still study. And that second year was a little easier because I wasn't in the hospital yet. And so there was opportunities for me to help out. The second child came in a research year. So the worst thing that happened to me career-wise is I didn't match that first year the best thing that happened to me as a family is we didn't match that first year. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have this plan, but eventually I matched where I wanted to be. But then I have this gap year and I got a really nice research job and we had time as a family and then we were able to start adoption proceedings again. And then that led us to our second child.
1: Yeah. And so we were able to adopt him during our research year and Dave's uh, the people he worked with were so incredible. And we actually had as family, we had adoption benefits that we never would have had. And he had two weeks to be there in a different state because you can't leave with a child. And every state's different, but we couldn't leave with the child for two weeks. And he was able to be there the whole time. And I it was just the one of that not matching day <laughs> it was like one of the top five of like their worst days in our marriage for sure. And we've had some doozies. <laughs> and um but it literally led to one of our greatest blessings ever
0: well my heart goes out to you for everything that you went through to become parents but i'm so so happy for you that it has turned out to be such a beautiful story and what a wonderful thing that you had that research year because that time that you had with your young children mm-hmm. uh is is something you could never
2: no, <laughs> have
0: realized that you even wanted prior to that, or you wouldn't have realized what you were missing
2: exactly. I, mean,
0: I had been an intern that year. so that's tremendous. <laughs> so, okay, tell me more about how you've balanced your medical training with your family life and also, I want to hear a little bit more about, Ashley, your experience and how you were feeling through through that period.
2: <laughs> you want to start? <laughs> um, I mean, the balance we didn't do as well early on because we didn't have some of the tools that we have now. So looking back, there's so many things we could have done better. The balance was we just had to get stuff done. And so we prioritized our own personal health, which was great. We prioritized the children, which was great. What we didn't really balance well was our own personal relationships with each other, just our own mental health individually. So looking back, we would have done things differently. I would have pushed back a little bit more against my senior attendings. I would have said there's certain days that I could not be available. During my fellowship, I was on call 24-7 for my specialty and if I was in town, I was on call, which made it very difficult to feel comfortable or relaxed going out on a date. So I was always tense because I could be all the way at any moment. Now I would have just said, hey, you know, I'm on call 24-7, your backup call. But I would have talked to my mentor and said, I need this Friday where I just know you're taking the th- phone calls. I will help out in a couple hours when I'm done, but I need this time to be protected. And so I would have done a better job about protecting the time I had. It's so little that it is yours anyway, medical training. And I would have pushed back against that a little harder about time with family, protected time, saying yes, less often to some of those uh, jobs, opportunities.
1: Yeah, I, I just think we, I personally would have advocated for myself more as I think that's what Dave's saying too, is advocating, um, Cause something really crazy kind of happens and you don't know what's happening when, I mean, I was there through the whole thing, so I can pinpoint it, but you know, Dave applied for medical school and he got in. That was so great. And people want to talk to us about it. And it's like, yeah, it's so exciting and whatever. And you kind of like you're on the same team until you get to medical school. And then you kind of get benched like you're kind of, the, the, in the same like your bench, you kind of get downgraded to like the water boy. And, and so he's out playing the game and he's out playing the game and you're kind of like making sure he can play the game. Right. And, and, um, and it's not necessarily that that's a bad thing. It's just that every conversation you have with people from here on out, you are second. They want to know what he's doing And then you are like, you are downgraded. You are just support staff, right? The thing is, is that so much of that feeling has to do with the way I felt about myself that I never had to do what he was doing. If I felt that what I was doing was just as important as what he was doing day to day, I would have shown up differently and felt differently completely. People could have told me he could have told me, no, you're, you're just as important as he is, but that's not how I felt. That's not the lens that I felt. And so I wish that looking back, I would not have put my mental health and my relationship on the altar of medicine as often as I did, that I had to accept certain things. I had to accept that he couldn't take time off. I had to accept that, you know, just, it's like, Hey, This isn't going to change anything, but I'm in a voice that this is bothersome to me. And my time is just as important as your time. I'm not on the bench. I'm playing the game too. That mind shit has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with me and how I view myself. So if there is a spouse out there who's feeling like they're the support staff, I would challenge that you can change the way you feel about you and your place in this relationship, even if their schedule never changes. You can reframe it in your mind in a way where you are just as important as this other person, regardless of whatever anybody else says or what they want to talk about. Or, And the funny thing is when you have kids, like they would want to talk about his career. They never want to talk about mine, right? They weren't really interested. But then when I had kids, they wanted to talk about him. And then they want to talk about kids and then maybe they talk about me it's it's like yeah and you just kind of have to accept it is what it is but in your mind you need to frame it differently
0: do you have any advice for people listening who are on the physician side or the medical student side of that relationship because i i really hear what you're saying and i mm-hmm. see that i've seen my husband go through that and as a female physician i've also on some level been through that on the, on the gender side, because my -hmm. husband's an attorney and people often don't recognize, you know, the, the physician side, they don't even ask, you know, Um, so, so I, I really hear what you're saying. And, and I've also seen having some lack of understanding of, of what my husband has gone through, but maybe in a, you know, looking back, I, I right. really see how much he supported me through all of those years and made it work and mm-hmm. the sacrifices he made to make that happen. And so I would love to hear if you do have specific tips to the, the medical person, the medical right. professional who is benefiting from all of that support um, mm-hmm. what, what would you say to that person? If you could go back and say something to Dave early on, I would tell
1: him or anybody, if I could sit and I, I would really love to write that out. Actually be like, listen, just because like you're saying, this doesn't happen very often where you get the ear of a medical professional as, as, as the spouse or support staff or you know, any kind of sport, whether it's parent or anything You need to be very transparent about what it is like to be you in your day to day. Please tell me how you are feeling when that patient dies, when there is a success, when you're conflicted, when you're not getting along with somebody. Like, let that person in to the world that they don't get to see, because not only is that going to create that emotional intimacy with the two of you, but it's going to remind that person. Of all the reasons they want to be with you. Like these are very attractive qualities that you care about other people that you want to be a healer. You know, that's kind of what draws (laughs) people like me to people like this. Like it's, it's very attractive. And when you're not let into that, it's, it's really, you're kind of like, what am I doing this for? They don't appreciate me. And it's, and so I think sitting down and being like, what is it like to be you every day? explain that to your to your spouse open up and and as the spouse ask what is it like to be you right now and i never asked that i didn't have the insight or the foresight to be like hey you know what's it like to be you today and be thoughtful enough to return the favor and if it solidifies the team and you can get through things if you really understand what's going on
0: on the inside
1: of the other person. So that's probably what I would say.
0: Yeah, it works both ways to ask at the end of the day, even if you only have a few minutes.
2: Well, and I would turn it, like you said, turn it around to, I think like Ashley was saying that so much of the focus as you're going through medical training is on the person in medical training and when you are at those parties, you're talking to people, people want to know about my life, what I do, what I saw in the hospital, what's the, you know, all those things, all the stories I'm trying to tell on the podcast, but that's what happens in our day-to-day life too. And, you know, as much as, you know, like other people have interesting jobs, it doesn't get the same love and attention. Sometimes even my brother, he's a professional athlete. So when people are talking about him, nobody cares about what I do. So, like I get a little taste of that because when we all get together, everybody wants to know about my brother because he's a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. So, it's this glorified profession and it's fun to watch and it's exciting but it's the one time where I kind of feel what it's like for, on the other side of being maybe the the not not the most interesting person in the room or the the, <laughs> yeah. the person with not the most interesting job. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I failed as well as a husband by not coming home and asking her how she she was and what her life was like. It was more, I came home, I was exhausted, but I had to show up for the kids or we had to do this. But it was just like, you know, the, just the cursory, how was your day? But it was more just what got done, what didn't get done, what do I need to help out with? Like, how do we finish the day and both go to sleep?
1: Yeah, it's but, not a to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. And, and so... <laughs>
2: it needed to be more how are you how you know just like giving her the chance to tell me how she did what her day was like the things that she accomplished or how she felt in the day and um
1: and you can do that while you're making dinner (laughs) do you know what i'm saying like you can multitask
0: that like we were talking
1: about earlier so (laughs)
0: true so true on your way to the gym making dinner
2: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so I, i would just say yeah both people need to legitimately care enough and be vulnerable enough. I have, you know, we both like Brene Brown. I know a lot of people do. So it's not unique that we like Brene Brown, but being vulnerable is what invites connection. And it's sometimes hard to be vulnerable when you are just sad about your day at work and you just don't want to talk about it anymore. And you, com- doctors are, I think, are really good at compartmentalization because we have to, to get through the day, but then we come home still compartmentalized, not showing up as a full person. And I think not that we come home and just unload all of our trauma on our loved one, but come and say, this was really hard, or this was really exciting. But like Ashley said, being showing up as a full person and letting the other person in.
1: And it will take practice not letting the other person's emotion derail you. And that is, that is a whole other topic (laughs) and a whole other ball of wax of being, um, not, not making his problems, my problems and my problems, his problems necessarily. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're sad and you get to be sad. And I I don't have to be sad because you're sad. It just, I'm here for you kind of a thing, but we were also not very good at that. So that's taken a long time to be, uh, kind of not codependent on somebody else's emotions. Um, So that takes practice, but you know how that takes practice is doing it together and noticing. It's like, oh, okay, he had a hard day at work and it doesn't mean that I have to be superwoman, but also doesn't mean that I have to make his problems my problems either, they just are.
0: That's a brilliant point too. And I think for the medical professional coming home and knowing that the first, one of the first things to look forward to is the question to your partner, of what does it feel like to be you today? Not just what happened to you today, but mm-hmm. but really about their feelings is a great way to start your time after work because maybe you don't want to talk about what happened right away. Maybe you don't want to talk about it at all. I think mm-hmm. to some extent, sometimes it can be so much that you witnessed that day that you just you feel like if you, if you open that pandora's box it it could take you all evening just to talk it through and you're not you're just not going to go there and as you say too ashley even though it's not your emotional (laughs) problem to to Mm -hmm. handle also i think we we don't want to hand that off to you either like no exactly you already nobody wants to
1: feel like they're giving their problem to somebody else because that stops us from actually sharing it so the way I react to his day is just as important as what he's saying to me. And it's the same with your kids. If your kids know that you're going to be derailed by the thing they did wrong, they're never going to tell you what they did wrong. So that's where Dave was saying that we've had to do a lot of work on ourselves and our own emotional regulation or dere- <laughs> like deregulation or whatever um, to be able to show up not so triggered by someone else's behavior or emotions or what they're going through um
2: well and like Ashley said it takes practice but it's mm-hmm. also one of those things that when you do come you can say i just i don't have the emotional bandwidth to have the conversation today just like it was a hard day i'm just not ready to talk about it or let's talk about you we thought we've also given each other you know permission to go on retreats you know like hey it, it seems kind of selfish, like you dump the kids on the other person and you're going to be gone for a weekend, but it's like, I need this for my own well being, And so like to work through some of those things, like you said, like you, you're not always, you don't want to always put that on the person that you're in love with or who you're married to, but it needs to come out somehow. So whether that's with that person, but you, you need to just be honest about where you are, just. I don't want to have the conversation right now. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have the conversation at all. Or let's go out or or just saying it was a very hard day and I'm is just I'm sad. You don't have to share all the details. Just saying that out loud and then having the other person just be there with you. That's enough. Nobody needs to fix anything. It's just knowing where each other are at and just being supportive.
0: Absolutely. And A journal can be a huge asset in that way as well. Just just Mm -hmm. even if you allow yourself to have a, you know, a frustration journal where you, it's okay to just put all of that down because you begin to see patterns and insights. And as you mentioned, it's all of this is a lot of learning that really goes on. These are skills that you can learn, and it's not something that we're trained in at all in in all those years of medical training. So, Understanding how to regulate your emotions, how to process stress, how to relate to each other in a more, it, communicate in a more effective way. Well, I think that too, is like when you, when you go into medical training, it's, it's so demanding and it's
1: all encompassing, but you realize that you're, you're a person that happens to be doing medical training, but you're a person first and your personal development can't stop at the altar of medicine. It just can't. Like your, your ability to be in relationships, to interact with people, to, you know, with a spouse, loved one, like that is just as important as learning to physically care for another person. But that that kind of stuff evolving as a person, it doesn't stop and you don't get to put it on pause and have it not really wreck things up because we about really wrecked it up. Yeah. <laughs>
2: nobody talks about this or never did and it's all of a sudden we're thrown into a hospital or we're watching people die and we're counseling people on end of life or a do not resuscitate order and like we are emotionally stunted people at that moment that are just so insulated from the real world and we're sitting there having these horrible real conversations with people and it's just it's so strange that we don't then you come home like oh somebody died today i don't know how to you know, the first time I saw somebody die, I was seventeen. I was an EMT in the hospital, and somebody just died, and everybody just kept working and just went to the next room. And I just said, like, "I'm just drowning," saying like, "Can somebody talk to me about this?" And just yeah. everybody just went around their business, and I'm thinking, "Okay." And so then, you just see the next death, and the next death, and the next trauma, trauma, and the next horrible thing, and you just. But you never are taught at even at the beginning on how to process through any of those emotions. And so you just make it up and then you just realize most of what you did was maladaptive. All my coping strategies were maladaptive.
1: And then the only advice you get is like, oh, you're never gonna see them. It's like, well, I'm not <laughs> not an idiot. Like I know they're gonna be busy. I know I'm not gonna see them, but nobody talks about what it feels like to to go through that. Like, how do you actually cope and not just get resentful?
2: Yeah. Just well, resentful. Well, a lot of conversations left yeah. to be had, but I got to get ready. I got to head off to work. So got a full day of clinic and they woke me up an hour early because somebody locked themselves out of the hospital before surgery. So Ooh. I was the only one with keys. So before this, I ran to the hospital, unlocked the OR and then showered. <laughs> did this and now wow. back to the grind.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for fitting this in.
2: <laughs> no, wouldn't miss it. Have a great day.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are doing the podcast and letting people have this conversation. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm looking forward to having you again. I've (laughs) heard uh, several things that you've said through this conversation that I'd love to talk with you in more depth about. And it's uh, terrific to know you both.
2: It was very nice to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting us on. Mm -hmm. And like you said, even just some of the conversations we've had, it's just, there's been a few like, oh, I need to have this conversation, this conversation, (laughs) just all these ideas are sparking about just Things that I can do better. And I'd love to come back and talk to you about that. And we'd love to have you on so you can share a little bit more of your story Mm -hmm. since we were talking more on this episode, which happens with the guests. (laughs) But we'd love to have you on so you can talk a little bit more and share some of your own stories with us.
0: Thank you so much. I look forward to that. And thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope Ashley and Dave have inspired you to think about your own life and how your experiences can impact how you lead and care for others, especially right in your own home. Ashley and Dave, thanks again. And please tell me how people can reach you and how they can hear your podcast in order to learn more about you. They can find us on any of their
1: favorite streaming platforms. I believe it is on call with Dr. Dave. And then we're on Instagram at on call with Dr. Dave. We also have a website on call with Dr. They can find us in all those
0: places.
2: So try to make it as easy as possible to find us.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Tremendous. Thank you for sharing. We'll put all of that in the show notes and we'll see you next time on Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Your support means the world to us. And please don't forget to explore our virtual home at docworking.com where you'll find resources carefully curated to propel you toward the destination you've always aspired to reach, both in your personal journey and in your meaningful career. It's time to take the leap and gain the tools and support to fully access the power of you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Doc Working, The Whole Physician Podcast.